It's good to be with all of you. It's good to be up here preaching God's word this morning. I'm really excited. Habakkuk is one of oops, Habakkuk is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. Um, it's a book that's been really impactful to me. Um, and yeah, it's just it's a great book that I hope the Lord um, just continues to speak through His Word through this book this morning. Um, and so, yeah, this book is very special because. It's not like a lot of other books in Scripture. This book is kind of a a dialogue, a back and forth between Habakkuk and God. And we're kind of jumping right in the middle of what's going on with Habakkuk's conversation with God. So to give us a little bit of context, I was trying to think through what's what's a good way to kind of get us into the the picture of of what Habakkuk is, is kind of going through in this conversation with God. Uh, so I have a hypothetical scenario that I think might help us kind of understand where Habakkuk is at in this conversation with God. So imagine, if you would, that you work at a big company with a really bad boss. I'm, I'm sure none of you in this place can relate to something like that. Um, but, I mean, just imagine the boss. He's, he's never, uh, never shows you any grace. He's always putting pressure on you to perform better and to work longer hours. And meanwhile, he's barely doing any work and makes more than double your salary uh, for what you do. And I'm sure you know having a boss like that makes you pretty mad. It it makes you pretty frustrated. It, It doesn't feel that great. And so naturally, what you would do is pray to the Lord and, and ask, ask the Lord, God, help me with this situation. This is not good. This is, um, this is not good. The wicked man is having a much better life than the righteous man. It's, it's not fair. It's not good. I'm being mistreated here, and I want you to do something about it, God. That's kind of the mindset that Habakkuk's been having with the people of Judah at the time. There is a lot of wicked people in the nation of Judah, and they seem to have the upper hand. They seem to be the ones that are dominating the culture at the time. And so Habakkuk does just what any of us would do. He cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, why are the wicked winning? Why are the wicked people in Judah the ones who are on top? And God responds to Habakkuk in in a very interesting way. Um, He tells Habakkuk, don't worry about it. I'm sending the Babylonians to come to take you all the way to Babylon. Um, <laughs> and to us, that would almost be equivalent to if God were to respond to us in our prayer with the situation with the evil boss. It, it would kind of be like the Lord saying, don't worry about it. I'm about to demote him, and then I'm going to bring on an even more evil boss. And he's going he's gonna to just make things even worse, and, and everything's going to be great. And I'm sure a lot of you, if you were in a situation like that, you'd be thinking, no, that's, that's a terrible plan. I don't understand this plan at all, God. Like, I trust you. I know you're God. I know you're good. But this sounds terrible. And that's kind of where Habakkuk's at in this conversation with God. God has told him, yeah, the Babylonians are going to come. They're, they're what I'm going to use to, to fix this situation, to make things right um, here in, in Judah. And Habakkuk just doesn't get it. Um, as I'm sure most of us in that situation would not get it either. And so today, what we're going to be looking at in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 5, is God's response to Habakkuk after Habakkuk is just like, God, what what is this plan? (laughs) I I don't understand it. And so that's where we are. That's where we are. The Lord has responded to Habakkuk saying that he's going to send 
um, the Babylonians to, to come and, and take them away. And so as we're looking at this passage, um, I think that it's something we can all easy, easily relate to. We often see the, the wicked in our world seeming like they have the upper hand. They're the ones that dominate us. They're the ones that are oppressing us, who are seeking to live righteous lives unto the Lord. And so maybe you're experiencing those sort of feelings as we're, as we're going into this um, studying God's word today, um, where you're looking out at what God's doing in the world, and you think, God, this doesn't seem like a good plan for my life. How could you come up with a plan that involves me going through so much suffering, having to endure so much evil, having to walk through so many different trials? Lord, how is this a good plan? That's a thought I'm sure a lot of us have had at some point in our Christian life. And so today we're going to look at God's response to Habakkuk as he's asking similar questions. God is, ask, God is answering the question to Habakkuk how we can have that abundant life that Jesus talked about. God is answering the question how we can have that abundant life that Jesus was talking about in that evil world. So, as we're approaching the text, let's consider that together. How can we? How can we have an abundant life in this evil world? Let's read again verses 2 through 3 um, as we approach our text this morning. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. As God is is beginning his response to Habakkuk, he wants Habakkuk to clearly understand. He's not just sitting by doing nothing. God truly does care about the situation, and his plan is not something that's overlooking the struggles and concerns of the righteous people in Judah. God's plan isn't delayed. It's coming right on time. It has an appointed time set for its coming. But the Lord tells us to wait. There's a period of waiting where we have to be patient for God's plan. We often assume that God wants our lives to be easy. We often assume that God doesn't want us to endure anything hard. But as we look over at the Christian life again and again... Throughout Scripture, we see that this doesn't appear to be the case. God often and constantly calls his people to trust him through difficult situations and circumstances. And if you think over the lives of people like Noah, who God called to endure through the wicked world for a hundred years, building the ark, um, as that was a slow and painful process. If you think of the life of Abraham, as he had to patiently endure, didn't even see the fulfillment of the promises to God, but trusted that God was going to fulfill them to his descendants. If we think about the life of Gideon, who God called to to do something, uh, a staggering task, to do something he knew he couldn't complete, and so that's why we see him going to God again and again saying, are you going to do this? (laughs) Like, is is this the plan? God called Gideon to something that was bigger than himself. He called Gideon to something that he had to really trust God and, and be patient as he waited to see what thing, what, how God would accomplish his plan. 
And we think again about David as well. David had to endure so many years of being chased by Saul, being hunted down by Saul. He had to be patient for the Lord's promise that he would one day be king over Israel. And so as we're thinking through how God has worked in the past and as we're considering our lives now, we need to understand that if we want to have an abundant life here, a life that's filled with the goodness that God promises his people, if we want that abundant life in this evil world, we need to understand that patience is essential, not accidental. Patience is essential, not accidental. God isn't taking us through these trials, these things that are, that are hard to deal with in this life, because it's an accident of this evil world. God is taking us through these things purposefully because he's trying to accomplish something in us. If you think about it, it's, it's kind of like um, a shorter young kid trying to learn basketball. Um, he's trying to learn all the fundamentals and his coach keeps drilling it into him. Um, you need to, to learn how to dribble, learn how to shoot. But he gets frustrated because all the other kids are way taller than him, and he just, he just can't do it. Um, he, just, he can't seem to, to get where he wants to go. And so in his frustration, he's tempted to quit. He's tempted to, to stop um, playing, to stop trying to grow in his skill at basketball. However, what the kid doesn't understand is that growth spurts happen at different times. And that his coaches are, are trying to prepare him for what they know is coming. That they know that he'll, he will be able to play at one time. And they're preparing him for that moment. And so, in the same way, we need to have a trust for God and what he's leading us through. It's not purposeless. He's called us to be patient through the hard times because patience is essential, not accidental. So, as we consider these things, I think it's helpful for us to look at Psalm 37. Turn with me to Psalm 37, verses 7 through 9. Psalm 37, verses 7 through 9. Be still before the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So in that passage, we're we're encouraged by the Lord to continue to wait on him, not to fret as evildoers seemingly have the upper, upper hand. And I think one one way that's helpful for us in terms of practical application, that we can think about being patient and waiting on the Lord, being patient through our times of trial, we need to be patient with our spiritual disciplines. We need to be patient as we spend time in the Word and in prayer. Because oftentimes, when we're going through difficult circumstances and we're trying to um, live a righteous life before the Lord, we look to God in His Word, we look to God in prayer, and we think, this isn't doing anything. This isn't getting me anywhere. It's, it's not getting me where I want to go. I'm not happier than I was. I'm not more fulfilled than I was. What we need to understand is that God's way is the way of patience. God calls us to wait for his plan to be fulfilled. 
And so we need to be patient and keep going. They might not be fun right now, but they're doing something in us. One of the the main reasons we don't enjoy the spiritual disciplines is because part of what they're doing to us is they're changing our heart. They're changing our heart to desire new things, to learn to love new things, because we don't naturally love the things that we need. We don't naturally love things that are good. And so that's what the spiritual disciplines are doing in, in us. They're doing something that takes time. It takes patience. And so my encouragement for you this morning is if you're struggling with your spiritual disciplines, if you're struggling with prayer or with reading your Bible, keep at it. Keep being patient. Keep going day in, day out to the Lord and trust that he is working in you. Trust that he is changing you. He's changing your heart to look more like his heart. Another thing as well that I think helps us in terms of practical application is we need to make sure we're not taking the shortcut. Sin is, is a shortcut to getting that fulfillment that God's good and righteous things give um, as we are fulfilled in them. But sin's shortcut, as we know, is, is not long, fulfilling long-term. And it often and always leads us down a, a path that leads to even more brokenness and more despair. So, if you're tempted to take a shortcut and to have your desires fulfilled through sin rather than through God and his ways, we need to think through these things. If, if you want acceptance, you need to seek God's and not man's. It's in our world that's constantly changing. There's a lot of things that, trends that keep changing. And if you're in a, a certain group, a certain friend group, a certain um, Type of, type of group at work, there are a lot of things that are, that are the new cool thing that all the accepted people have. And it's, it's really tempting to, to think, oh, if, if I want to fit in with this group, I've got to keep up. I've got to keep up with what's going on. I've got to keep up with all of the, the new things that are, that are coming in. And we can be tempted to seek man's acceptance rather than God's acceptance. And so if you're feeling like you lack that acceptance um, that you desire from, from the world around you, you need to understand that that's something you need to find in God, not in other people. If you want acceptance, seek God's and not man's, and be patient for it, because it doesn't come as fast as man's acceptance does, but it's not as fleeting as man's acceptance is. If you want to be known, seek to be known by God and not by man. We live in a culture that, where tolerance is one of the main words that's thrown around. Um, if you want to be known um, in, in a group, they'll tolerate anything. It's like, yeah, sure, come in. Um, you're fine here. You're, you're tolerated here. You're accepted here. But there's not any real um, being known in those groups. It's not a real deep knowledge of who you are and what you were created to be. It's more conforming to the world. It's more conforming to the patterns of the world that are ever-changing. There's no, there's no structure to it. There's no um, lastingness to it. And so if you want to be known, seek to be known by God, the God who created you, the God who knows exactly what he created you to do, exactly who he created you to be. And so if you want to be known... Seek to be known by the God who knows you better than you know yourself. 
as well, if you want to have joy, learn to enjoy God rather than sin. It's easy for us as we're trying to um, prepare a meal quickly to think, oh, let's, let's just go to somewhere like Taco Bell. Um, you know, Taco Bell will be a good, good pick-me-up. Um, but we know, we know that after a little while, it's not, as your stomach starts to rumble a little bit in um, just ways you don't want it to, uh, <clears throat> that you probably should have stuck with a better, healthier meal that um, would have served you better in the long run. And that's kind of, that's kind of the way it is with um, with us as we pursue God's joy. We need to learn to enjoy God's ways rather than sinful ways, because we have wrong desires. We want things that are quick and easy rather than wanting things that are long lasting that we get through patience. And so, if we want to have a lasting joy, we need to be patience patient for God's joy. And if you want peace rather than worry. Um, You need to want what God wants rather than what your sin wants. Your sin wants, like we were talking about, that instant gratification, that um, instant pleasure that's very short-lived. If you want peace rather than worry, you need to seek the Lord of peace, the one who owns all of peace. You need to seek him and seek to be found in him. When Jesus came here on this earth, patience was a part of his mission. He didn't go immediately to the cross. He didn't come down and immediately rise from the dead. He came and lived for a 30-year period before he went to the cross. Patience and enduring suffering and evil in this evil world was a part of his mission. Why was this? Why was it that Jesus was um, came here not just to die and to rise again, but came to endure, is because he was building something. And God's building something with us here and now. He's continuing to, to build through Christ's work. Christ built the church, and he's continuing to build his church. If you will, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. God's word says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So what God is doing in us as a church, as a church family together, God is building us into a dwelling place for himself. God's desire is to build us up in a way where he comes and brings more of himself. That's the goal of the Christian life. The goal of the Christian life isn't to have it easy. The goal of the Christian life isn't to not have trials. It isn't to make it through as as easy as we can. The goal of the Christian life is to have more of God. And that's something we've got to be patient for because we're a part of the problem. And so God is working on us. He's working to to rid us of these these evils that so constantly plague us because he wants to make us more pure through Christ so that we can enter further in to fellowship with him. And so we need to make that our goal. We need to make that our goal to pursue God rather than our sin. And as we do that, we need to be patient 
Because this isn't something that comes as easy as our sin does. We need to be patient for what's good rather than pursuing what's evil. And so as we continue, let's read verse 4 of our, cha- of our chapter, verse 4 in Habakkuk 2. God continues his response to Habakkuk and says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. And so here in this next verse, the Lord is contrasting the wicked Babylonians with the faithful Israelites. He's saying that the wicked Babylonians, though when they come, they will look like they've got it all together. They've got everything they want. They've got all the riches they want, all the power they want. There's a problem. Behold, his soul is puffed up within him. It is not upright within him. And that's the problem. As God is weighing and judging the heart of the Babylonians, he is saying they are bankrupt. They actually don't have any true wealth. They have nothing. Though they have everything in this world, they have nothing because they do not have God in their midst. But then he contrasts it with the righteous. He says, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous shall live by his faith. As we think through that, that's the um, hope of the Christian life. That's the joy of the Christian life, is that through faith, we receive not worldly wealth, not worldly possessions or power. We receive more of God. And that's good. That is very good. God wants us to understand that though Babylon might have gotten everything they wanted in the moment, they actually don't have real abundant life. And so if we want to find real abundant life despite not getting everything we want, despite not having all of our desires fulfilled, we need to understand that abundant life is found in God and not in our worldly wish list. Abundant life is found in God and not in our worldly wish list. So if you are wanting to start pursuing abundant life, here are some practical applications that may help. When you don't get what you want, when you've had that wish list of, of things that you've wanted to pursue, maybe it's a, it's a career, maybe it's an item you've been saving up for, maybe it's just a desire of who you wanted to become in life. And that desire goes unfulfilled. When you don't get what you want, thank God anyway. God wants you to be thankful, not angry. And it's a more freeing kind of life. Because we as Christians are not called to live life dependent on our desires. We're called to live life dependent upon God. And so no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what comes our way, we can be thankful because we know God is giving us more of him. God is using this situation to give me more of himself. And so even though it didn't turn out the way I thought it would, even though it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to, I can thank God. Because I know this is something that God is using for my good, to give me more of himself. As well, God wants you to love all of his word, not just the parts you're okay with. Don't settle for the edited God that you're okay with. Learn to discover how good God is. 
our worldly wish list often requires that we settle for a lesser kind of God. It requires that we settle for a God who's okay with us getting all the things that we want. That's not what God's here to do. God's here to change us. He's here to change our desires, to change who we are. He's here to continue to reform us around his word. And so, as you're challenged by his word, don't avoid the parts that are trying to change you. Don't avoid the parts that make you uncomfortable. Instead, press into those. Seek to discover how good God is and to understand why the goodness of God isn't lining up with who you are. And then as you study God's word more, as you read more of God's word, you'll start to understand that forsaking your sin, forsaking your idea of who God was that was not in accordance of his word, that's something that will bring you into the greater goodness of God, understanding how great he is with more joy and fulfillment found in a life of repentance, turning away from our sin and turning away from our wrong thoughts about God. As well, when your life doesn't turn out the way you want it or when your life isn't the way you want it to be, live a life of faith. Rely on God rather than on yourself. We as Christians need to be humble and submit to God in prayer. Abundant life in God takes all of our problems to Christ rather than holding on to the weight of it all. And that's something that's really freeing. That means that we can let go of worry as we live a life of faith. We take things to God in prayer rather than holding on to to them ourselves. It's something that we're tempted to do without even thinking about it. Oftentimes we don't go to God in prayer because we're sinful people who our natural inclination is to hold on to things ourselves. But the Christian life calls us to actively live a life of faith. Take it to God in prayer and continue to let go of these things to him. We need to be humble in faith and continue to read God's word. Um, Again, abundant life doesn't try to pretend that we know it all. Abundant life stops pretending that we're perfect. Abundant life relies completely on the work of Christ and points to Christ, saying Christ is what's righteous. Christ is what's good, not me. I'm being changed by Christ. I'm being changed by Christ through his word. I'm being changed by Christ as I come to him each day in prayer. If you want abundant life, you've got to let go of self-sufficiency. You've got to let go of your pride. You've got to let go of being the one who's perfect in your own eyes and be humble before the Lord. We as a church family as well need to be humble and trust that God is working in other people. In the abundant life that God provides, we don't have to try and control other people. We trust that whatever they do, God is going to use it to turn it out for good. We can trust that God is working through these things, that God is actively using these things for the good of his people. And so we don't have to try to control other people. We don't have to try to control the direction of the church in a way that fits with with what we're trying to do. We trust that with God. We live a life of faith that God is doing that, not us. We forsake self-sufficiency and trust God that he is working. As we continue on, 
in the next verse, verse 5 of our text. We'll read it together. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. As we're reading this last verse, uh, the Lord is giving a final picture of what the sin of these wicked Babylonians who are coming upon Judah, what the sin of the Babylonians is going to end up like. He's giving Habakkuk a a bird's-eye view of what's going to happen to these people. He's saying they're not going to win in the end. Though they might be the ones that are winning right now, they're not going to win in the end. God wants Habakkuk to understand that though their abundant wealth appears to be giving them power, it's, it's actually ruining them. Even though their violence looks like it's giving them true power, it's actually ruining them because they haven't chosen the way of real life. Instead of choosing abundant life, they've chosen to act like death. They're never satisfied. They never have enough. They're always seeking to destroy someone else. They're starting to act like death. They're starting to look like death. They're starting to smell like death because the life that they've chosen isn't life at all. It's the life of death. It's the actions of death. And that's what God is describing here in verse 5. He's showing that they're continuing to live lives of death. This is what the Babylonians chose to do. And they chose to do this because they were tempted to think that sin is better than righteousness because sin gets results. Sin gets you where you want really fast. But it takes you somewhere further than where you want to go. It takes you to death because it is the path of death. And so as we're thinking why we should deny ourselves when sin does seem to gratify our desires... If we're thinking, if the point of abundant life is to fulfill my desires when it's not, we often forget that we have grown up in an evil world where our desires are are evil and wicked. We desire things that are not good. We desire things that are completely evil. We need to understand that denying ourselves of our sinful desires is a part of pursuing abundant life. We need to understand that we really do desire evil. We really are evil people. When we think about um, the desires we have, we often think either that we're interpreting God's word wrongly or that God's word um, doesn't apply to me in this situation. But God makes it painfully clear that the very thing that the Babylonians desire They desire this power, this wealth. This thing that they desire is killing them. And not only are they starting to die, but they're starting to smell like death because of their actions. And so we need to, as a church family, take God's word seriously. We need to understand that a lifestyle of death does not lead to abundant life. Our sin is like a cancer. It sucks out the life from us. And our sin against God is like constantly offending a friend. If there's no repentance, it hurts the relationship. 
And we need our relationship with God. The only place we will find abundant life is in a healthy relationship with God. And so as we're thinking through how we can protect our relationship with God, uh, as we're thinking through how we can protect our relationship with God so that we can live an abundant life, here's some ways that I think practically help us to live this type of abundant life through faith in God. We need to be careful what we listen to. We need to be careful who we surround ourselves with. We need to surround ourselves with wise counselors rather than foolish ones. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. It's helpful for us periodically as we think through our lives to think about what the people around us, who the people um, we surround ourselves with are, are encouraging us to do. Are they encouraging me to do things that edge towards sin? Or are they spurring me on in righteousness? Are they spurring me on to follow the Lord more? We need to surround ourselves with people that constantly push us closer to God, push us to continue to pursue God. And that's why we meet together. We meet together to continue to seek God together and be built by God together. We need each other. We need each other to spur each other on in righteousness. As well, we need to understand that repentance is something that needs to be taken seriously. We need to repent today rather than putting it off till tomorrow. We need to start fighting today rather than putting off fighting sin until tomorrow. It's like dirty dishes accumulating in the sink. The longer you put it off, the more they accumulate, and the longer it's going to take to wash those dishes. And so we can't put it off. We have to start fighting sin now. If you will, turn with me to James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. James chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We need to understand that our sin is always getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like a cancer that grows and grows and grows. And so we've got to fight it quick. Don't let a little anger hang around. Don't let a little pride hang around. Don't let a little lust hang around. Don't let a little gossip hang around. We have to continue to fight against these things and to nip them in the bud, as Barney Fife would say. Another another way that we can pursue cultivating a better relationship with God is being open and honest about our decisions being open and honest about our decisions. Uh, We need to seek wise counsel with others. We don't need to isolate ourselves from wise counsel. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound, sound judgment. We need to open ourselves up to correction. We need to open ourselves up to being evaluated by wise, godly people. We can't close ourselves off and say, I'm going to be the one that makes the decision. 
I'm going to be the one that makes the decision, so I'm not going to ask anybody else about this. I'm not going to seek any wisdom from anybody else because I'm afraid of what they might tell me. That they might tell me that this isn't a good, wise idea. That this isn't something that I should do. Because I want to make this decision, and I have the right to make this decision. That's not how we as Christians can or should live. Because we need to surround ourselves and open ourselves up to correction. Open ourselves up to being led by godly counsel. Proverbs 12.1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So we need to fight sin with faith. We need to understand that Christ is our hope, not our worldly desires. What we need to be pursuing is Christ. Rather than being led by the whims of our desires that change with each passing day. So as we think through these things, as we think through how we can have abundant life in this evil world, we need to understand that abundant life comes through a living faith in God. We can have abundant life through a living faith in God. In John 15, verse 13, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. And so as we seek to live that kind of life with with that kind of love that Jesus had, we need to understand that we need to become people like that who would lay down our lives for our friends. We need to become people like that who would um, be willing to do something like that. And if we want to have that type of love, that Jesus said, that love for other people dwelling within us, that kind of abundant love that comes from an abundant life. We need to understand that we need to be changed by God. And that comes by through walking by faith with the God who loves us and coming closer to the God who is changing us. So, as we consider what the Lord has to say to us this morning, let's pray together.